Let's turn in God's Word this afternoon to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. The intention is to return to preaching a series of sermons through the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, For we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. 
neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. May he bless the reading of the Holy Scriptures unto your hearts. The text that we consider for the sermon this afternoon is verses 13 through 15. Focusing especially on verse 14, which we'll read now. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the context, the Apostle Paul has been speaking of spiritual gifts, which the ascended Jesus Christ gives in love and in grace unto his church. We have seen that, in essence, there is really but one gift that Jesus Christ gives to his church. And that one gift which Jesus Christ gives or pours out upon his New Testament church is his Holy Spirit. But then as the Holy Spirit is given by Jesus Christ unto the church, the Holy Spirit is he who calls men into special office. And thus the Apostle Paul in the 11th verse speaks of these gifts. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. As Jesus Christ who sits enthroned on high gives gifts of pastors and teachers unto the New Testament church, Jesus Christ gives these gifts unto the church so that these gifts might have an impact on the church. These gifts change the members of the church. They are used by Jesus Christ for the building up of the church. These gifts are impactful upon the members of the congregation. One of the impacts that God is pleased to work through the giving of these gifts unto the church is God uses these gifts for growth, for spiritual godliness, so that more and more the bride of Christ might not resemble the fallen world, but that the bride might resemble Jesus Christ, who is the bridegroom. 
So let's consider this text this afternoon under the theme, Growing Up into Christ. Growing up into Christ. Borrowing the phrase of verse 15, that we may grow up into him. First, we'll consider that we are spiritual children, as described in the 14th verse. Second, look at the spiritual growth that is required of us. And then third, examine spiritual maturity as described by this text. The 14th verse speaks of children, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. The question then is, who are these children of whom the text speaks? We understand something about what it means to be physically or naturally a child. A physical child is a young person. A physical child has life. The child receives life from father and mother. That young person with life has, in principle, everything that that child will need for life. The young child has a mind. The young child has a body, fingers and hands. The young child has the ability to move. But what's lacking in that young child is development of those abilities. Although the child has a mind, the child does not have the ability to reason with the mind in the same way that an adult would reason and make careful decisions. Although the child has shoulders, the child does not have strength in those shoulders to be able to bear the responsibilities that you who are parents bear up under. And so it's necessary then that that child, although that child has in principle everything that he needs for life, it's necessary that there be development of those abilities found in the child so that the child can occupy his or her place as an adult later on. But the apostle, as he calls us here not to be children, be no more children, is not speaking here physically of being physical children. But the calling here is that we be no more spiritual children, which is to be distinguished from being a physical child. Who is one who is a spiritual child or a spiritual babe, as referred to elsewhere in the scriptures. A spiritual child is one who has life. He's been given new life. He has a heart that has been quickened by the Holy Spirit, who has, we say, regenerated the heart of that child. Thus, having life, this spiritual child has in principle everything that that spiritual individual needs for his or her walk with the Lord. This spiritual child has been given faith. He's been given love. 
which is the gift of God. He's been given some measure of ability to be patient. But because this individual who is but a spiritual child is not developed yet, or or, or is still a child, he is not developed in the use of those spiritual virtues. And so this individual has love, but he has not developed in showing love, in living out of love. This spiritual individual has faith, but he is not well exercised in walking according to faith instead of walking according to his sight. This individual has patience, but quickly becomes impatient when things of life don't go the way that this individual would have wanted them to go. What does this spiritual babe or spiritual child look like? Who is this person? It's not as easy as simply looking, well, how old physically is this individual? Physical age is not always the barometer by which we may evaluate the spiritual maturity of an individual. There are some physically young people who also are spiritually young children. But there are also physically some young people who have spiritual maturity beyond their physical years. Simply growing physically older does not guarantee that this individual is going to become more spiritually mature as the individual ages. It happens that there are spiritually immature young adults who become old and become spiritually immature adults. Age is not the remedy to spiritual immaturity. What does this spiritual immaturity look like in an individual? It reveals itself by a lack of conviction, devotion unto, and understanding of God's Word. That spiritual immaturity, according to this text, verse 13 says that we all are to come. This is why God has given unto us spiritual gifts, that we might all come unto or in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. That's describing for us what spiritual maturity looks like. The person who has the knowledge of the Son of God. Thus, on the other hand, the spiritually immature individual is the one who has not yet come unto this knowledge of the Son of God who has not yet arrived unto a perfect man. So lacking knowledge and conviction of truth, this reveals itself in certain ways in in this spiritually immature 
individual. One sign that one may well be a spiritual child is this, that the individual quickly becomes puffed up with how much knowledge he does have. You've seen that in children, physical children. A child learns a particular, how to accomplish a particular chore, carry out a certain task, and the child has a great sense of accomplishment and satisfaction that the child is able to perform this chore and goes around and brags to others, look at what I can do. But little does that child understand that that one particular chore that he has learned to do, though it's good that the child has learned that, is but one of many, many different responsibilities and chores that that child must learn to do throughout the course of his lifetime. So it is then for the one who is but a spiritual child. He learns a particular truth. He loves that truth. And then because he has learned that particular truth, he imagines now that he understands the whole gospel of Jesus Christ and all that the Bible has revealed. And he quickly becomes puffed up in pride and imagines that he ought to be the one to whom others should turn for guidance, for support, and for direction in their spiritual journey. It's a sign of spiritual immaturity to think that one has mastered the doctrines which are found in the Word of God. For who is so great as our God? The second sign of spiritual immaturity, he's forgetful. He's forgetful of the commands of God and thus falls easily into temptation. You ever seen how forgetful children are? You tell them one second to stay in bed. Don't go, don't wake up from bed. It's nighttime. And the child stays in bed for maybe five minutes. And then the next thing you hear the pitter-patter of the steps of the child running around. How quickly children forget commandments. So it is for we who are by nature but spiritual children. How easily we forget the commands of God. God comes to us. He gives us direction instruction out of his holy law and we are certain that we're going to follow this commandment and then the very next moment there comes a temptation and we fall into sin and then third what is an indicator of spiritual immaturity according to verse 15 the lack of the ability to speak the truth in love. Verse 15, we're called to speak the truth in love. We may grow up into him. This is a sign of growing up. That you're able to speak the truth in love, lacking the ability to speak the truth in love indicates 
a certain spiritual immaturity. But perhaps one says, well, what is the big deal here with regard to this spiritual immaturity? After all, we said that the spiritually immature individual still is one who has life, still is one who has been quickened by the Holy Spirit. He simply is not developed in the use of those spiritual virtues that are given unto him. And one might say, I'm content to remain a spiritual child. I don't feel a great need for me to develop and grow in Christian graces. And they might even point to a passage of Scripture. Doesn't Jesus Christ, after all, teach that no one will enter into the kingdom of heaven except he become as a child? And then one might misapply that instruction of Jesus Christ and maintain that it's okay for me not to develop in my spiritual walk with the Lord. In fact, it's better for me to remain this spiritual child. So we face then the question, why? Why does the Apostle Paul tell us that we are to be no more children? Is this a victimless crime? Is it of no consequence if one simply decides I'm going to remain a spiritual child for the rest of my time upon this earth? The text tells us why we must not be content to remain as spiritual children by warning us about what happens. That warning is found in the second half of verse 14. Why are we to be no more children lest we be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. That's the seriousness of living, continuing as a spiritual child. That individual is tossed to and fro. The idea here is of a boat, and that boat has gone out into the high seas, and as that small boat is out in the high seas, there comes this storm that arises on the horizon and soon comes to that boat. The one sailing the boat tries to navigate the boat in a direct line. He knows where he wants to go. There's safety in the harbor. But try, though, that sailor might to bring that boat in a straight line to the safety of the harbor. He cannot because that boat is tossed first one direction and then the second direction by the wind and the waves that beat against that boat. And that pictures for us, beloved, what happens unto us as we re- when we remain as spiritual children. We are tossed about. Not tossed about physically, but tossed about spiritually. The one who does not seek to grow in the knowledge and understanding of the Son of God is more easily tossed about by the winds of doctrine, false doctrine, that that individual encounters in his life. It could be that at first 
this spiritually young, spiritually immature individual is very enthusiastic for Jesus Christ. He hears the gospel, perhaps for the very first time in his life, and he finds that gospel comforting, welcoming. There's peace in believing that gospel. And so the young convert confesses his faith, joins the church, and he's excited for Christianity. But then there comes a trial. And then another trial. And then another trial. And he doesn't find as much comfort as what he hoped he would find in confessing his faith in this Savior. And then he starts to wonder. And then after a while, he stops coming to worship services. And then he starts looking somewhere else for instruction. And little by little, his faith, as it were, is chipped away at, and he's tossed one direction, another direction. But then it's more serious than this. It's not just that because of the trials of life that one can be tossed around. But the emphasis that's given here in this text is on the one who is tossed around by false doctrine. Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men Cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. This is how one frequently is tossed to and fro because of the sinful work of false teachers. There are men who labor in deceitful ways with cunning craftiness. These false teachers have an influence on the ones that take the time to listen to that false teacher. The spiritual child, not knowing any better, gravitates unto this false teacher. The one who is but spiritually immature is easily impressed. It's not difficult to convince this individual of a particular truth. The, the spiritual child hears this false teacher, and as he listens to the false teacher, he finds that false teacher to be so very convincing. The false teacher will do something that grabs a hold of the attention of the spiritually immature individual. Oftentimes, the way that the false teacher grabs a hold of one's attention is by making a bold claim. They speak of some grave danger that no one else has been able to see. And then warns that if you do not watch out for this grave danger, it's going to hurt you. Usually the false teacher is articulate. Usually the false teacher 
take certain passages of the scripture and misapplies those passages of God's word. After then, this false teacher has grabbed the hold of the attention of the one who is but a spiritual child, then he seeks to toss to and fro that spiritual child. He deceives according to the text. They lie in wait to deceive. That's who this false teacher is. He's a ninth commandment breaker. He's a liar who is of his father, the devil. He deceives by his misrepresentation of truth unto this spiritually immature individual. He does not tell this individual all of the truth, but he intentionally withholds certain aspects of the truth. He suggests to this individual evil things regarding good men, and he suggests good things about evil men. And then this false teacher who is interacting with the one who is a spiritual child sets forth a remedy. And the remedy that he sets forth is something besides the truths that are taught in the Word of God. This false teacher is a coward. He's a coward to the greatest degree. He's a coward, number one, because of where he does his work. The text tells us that he lies in wait to deceive. The false teacher does not do his work in the open, in the noonday, but he waits for the right opportunity in the right moment of privacy when there's the right person listening to him to be able to give or share his information. Second, he's a coward because of the object of his labors. With whom does the false teacher labor? To whom does he misrepresent truth? Children. It is children who are tossed to and fro, spiritual children, who are tossed about by the false teachings of this individual who lies in wait to deceive. This false teacher is a manipulator of children. This false teacher has enough secular wisdom to understand that if he goes unto one who is mature in the faith, He's not going to get anywhere. So instead of praying on the strong, he prays on the weak. That's why God comes to you in his love and care for the members of his church and says, don't be children. Be no more children. Tossed to and fro, 
carried about with every wind of doctrine. Instead, the calling of God's word is growth. Let there be spiritual growth. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love may grow up into him and all things which is the head, even Christ. The reality is we all start as but spiritual babes and spiritual infants. Is a point for every one of us where we were but recently regenerated by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't matter so much whether one was recently regenerated or whether one has been converted from the womb. The important thing is we all must strive to grow. When a baby is born, mom and dad hold that baby and they love that baby for who the baby is. The baby smiles, the baby is cooing, and mother and father are happy with the baby for where the baby is at. But at the same time, mom and dad hope with regard to that baby that the baby grows up. There's something wrong with the infant if the infant is not developing. So it is for us spiritually. There's something wrong with our spiritual lives if we are not seeking to grow up into Jesus Christ. How then does this spiritual growth happen according to this text? In the first place, we who seek spiritual growth must always keep our eyes on what is the standard or what is the goal for our growth. Verse 13 concludes, We are to come unto the unity of the faith, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the standard that God sets before us here. We are to grow and grow and grow unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so the question that we must ask ourselves is this. What is the measure, what is the tape measure, as it were, of our spiritual growth? It's all too easy to have a shifting standard for what is required of us as Christians. Or it is too easy for us to lower, to decrease the expectations that are given to us. The struggle for us is we tend to compare ourselves unto the neighbor. We look to see what the neighbor does on Sunday, and we compare that with what we do on Sunday. We look at the neighbor's devotional life, and we compare that with our devotional life. We look at what the neighbor gives, and compare that with how much we give. And then we solace ourselves that as long as I'm doing a little bit better in my spiritual walk than what the neighbor is in his spiritual walk, well then I must be satisfying the expectations of God. The calling here is not that we may attain unto the measure of what the neighbor is doing, but the calling in this text is that we are attained unto the measure of the stature of the fullness 
of Christ. Again, I ask, what is your standard for spiritual growth? If you use the wrong tape measure, you will get the wrong measurement. Second, how does this growth happen? By learning to communicate. That's verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things. This is one of the significant milestones that parents look for in their children. Is this child able to speak? At first, the child has only a very basic form of communication. The baby cries or the baby smiles. And it's the duty of the parent then to interpret what is the meaning of the cry. But as the child develops and grows, the child grows in his ability to speak. He learns words, mom, dad, mine. And then after learning words, then the child learns to develop short or speak short phrases, and then sentences, and then paragraphs. Just as there is a natural progression and development in the child's ability to speak, so there ought to be a spiritual progression in the, in, in the Christian's ability to speak the truth in love. The reality is we are not very good by nature in speaking unto Jehovah God. Our prayer life can be very limited. We don't perhaps know what to say unto God. We feel that our prayers are halting. And then not only is there struggle to be able to speak unto God in love, but there also is difficulty in speaking unto the neighbor in love. We struggle to witness unto the neighbor. How do I convey unto the neighbor the wonderful works which God has performed in my heart and share those wonderful works with the neighbor that God has put in my pathway? How do I lovingly confront the neighbor who has fallen into sin and who needs a word of gentle admonition brought unto them? How do I encourage this neighbor who is going through a difficult and trying time? We recognize our lack of ability to speak the truth in love, so the calling is to grow in that ability. And that leads us to the third way that we grow. How is it that we speak the truth in love? It's by knowing. You can't speak about that which you don't know. So how then do we grow up into Jesus Christ? By seeking to know Jesus. Verse 13 Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. This knowledge of God, according to John chapter 17, is eternal life. This is life eternal that they might know Thee, the only true God, 
in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. He is the one who holds all things within his hands. He is the one who came into this world in order that he might redeem his own. He is the one who made that sacrifice at Calvary once for all of his children. He is the one who will return on that final day on the clouds of glory. He will open up the graves, raise the dead to life again. He is the one who will be vindicated in that judgment day when every person head for head will acknowledge that God is God and that his Son, Jesus Christ, is Lord over all. He is the one who will be praised. What comfort there is in knowing this sign. But we must here offer a word of caution as we seek this spiritual growth in our own lives. Two cautions, really. The first is, We must be careful not to turn our life into a spiritual checklist. Spiritual growth is not the automatic result of checking off everything that is expected of the child of God. We strive to be more fervent in our prayers and devotions. We want to be more generous in giving to the kingdom causes. We want to have a greater intake of the word of God so that it can be hid in our hearts. But we mustn't imagine that simply going through these motions is going automatically to result in spiritual growth. We depend upon the Holy Spirit. Remember, The Spirit is the gift that the ascended Jesus Christ has given unto the New Testament church. And then second, a caution here that we must not elevate the importance of doctrinal knowledge or precision at the expense of holiness in character. We must not elevate doctrinal confession above or at the expense of holiness of character. It could be that one misinterprets this text and says, well, I must be a pretty spiritually mature individual then because nobody's going to toss me around. I'm not going to get tossed to and fro by these winds of false doctrine that come. I dare anyone to try to convince me of anything beyond what I believe. I am steadfast. I am not going to move. I know my doctrines. I can articulate these doctrines. And then this same individual who is so self-confident of his knowledge of doctrines and that nobody is going to impact his confession then turns around and swears at his children or abuses his wife. 
that individual is not the mature Christian. The text does not permit us simply to have heads filled with doctrinal knowledge and then conclude that now I must be a spiritually mature Christian because I understand the cardinal truths that are taught in God's Word. Where does this text teach us that it's not just about what we know, but it's about how we live? It's found in those words, in love. Speaking the truth in love. As we strive and pray for growth in understanding Jesus Christ, who is the revelation of the Almighty God, let us pray at the same time that the Spirit of Jesus Christ would rule in our hearts, that the love of God would be evident in the way that we interact with the neighbor. Spiritual maturity is described for us in the 15th verse. That we may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. This is spiritual maturity, beloved. It is growing into Christ. There's movement. That happens here as we grow into or unto Jesus Christ. Spiritual maturity is finding hope and comfort and patience and meekness in and from Jesus Christ. Spiritual maturity is quite different than how the world conceives of maturity. The world also speaks of maturity, and the way that the world speaks of maturity is its independence. You are mature when you are independent, when you're financially independent, when you are emotionally independent, when you are physically independent, and you don't belong on others for care. Then you are mature, the world would say. But how different is the Word of God about what spiritual maturity is? Spiritual maturity is not being able to say that I am so strong that I am independent. Spiritual maturity is not being able to say I have strong enough spiritual limbs that I can stand on my own two feet But instead, spiritual maturity is standing on the promises of Christ. Spiritual maturity is not imagining that I am strong enough of myself to fight off the enemies, the false teachers who would seek to toss me to and fro. But spiritual maturity is trusting the effectiveness of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word 
of God. Far from being independentism, spiritual maturity is recognizing that I belong unto Jesus Christ. I belong to his body, and I desire that all would come unto the unity of the faith. That's the language of the Apostle Paul at the start of verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Spiritual maturity is not only being concerned about oneself and one's own development and growth as a child of God. Spiritual maturity is not having an inward-focused perspective, but spiritual maturity is looking out unto all. Not just all Protestant Reformed people, not even just all Reformed people, but the prayer that all who are chosen by God throughout the or from the, before the foundation of this earth, would come unto the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Spiritual maturity reveals itself in self-denial, seeking the good of the other members of the body of Jesus Christ. May God grant unto us His Holy Spirit that more and more we might deny ourselves, our own wants, and seek the good of His body. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, wilt Thou work in us a desire not only for the milk of Thy word, but may we desire as well that spiritual meat by which our souls are sustained. Wilt thou grant unto us personally and collectively as a congregation growth into Jesus Christ. Wilt thou bless and keep us throughout the rest of this day. For Jesus' sake, amen.